0: You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, inspiration, day jobs, bad habits, and mental health. We talk about art. We talk about spiritualism. We talk about imposter syndrome, perfectionism, meritocracy, and mediocrity. We do sometimes talk about things like sexual assault, suicidal ideation, self-harm, trauma, and whatnot. So, you know, be advised. Each week, Artists, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people. Join me, Brad Pearson, not a doctor, not a therapist, not an expert, in a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Theme song! Are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst? Do you want to confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on Self-Worst. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's another episode. It's another edition. It's another chapter. Whatever you want to call it. Whatever unit of measurement you want to quantify podcast episodes in, go ahead. I say episodes, but you do you. Hi, I'm Brad Pearson, and I have self-esteem issues. What's up? Hope y'all are having a good week. Hope y'all are having a good October. We're finally getting into that nice, crisp, chill fall weather. Won't last long. (sighs) Spooky season... As, you know, they call it on the internet. It's a little too fleeting. I feel like we're only, like, what, two weeks away from Halloween now? It's too fast. It happens too fast. I just want to savor this time. And it's hard to, because I'm also winding down energy-wise, because the fucking sun goes down so early. So just a little after 7 o'clock. It's dark. I don't like that. I get tired all the time. The lady's out of town. She's in Memphis right now, doing some stuff, doing some work stuff. So I got the place to myself, and you know, last night I was like, all right, we're gonna make dinner. We're gonna maybe clean the apartment. We're gonna hang out with Dottie. We're gonna have a real productive time, and I just fucking fell asleep. It's rough, man the energy level and then you know you're you're like falling into that to like tar pit of your bed oh man you're like no wait I had more shit to do I haven't even brushed my teeth I can't fall asleep yet and then you wake up and it's it's like 6am and you're like oops I did it again I just collapsed on the bed for a second I didn't even plug my phone in and I slept all night with my clothes on Oops. Well, time to go to work. That's okay. So, this week, we're talking to a very funny comedian, Khalid Rahman. Uh, I met him a couple weeks ago on his show, uh, Big Break Stand-Up, which you should go see if you live in the New York area. Go see it. And, you know, if you don't, just follow him on socials he's he's like very wholesomely unaddicted to social media which must be great must be great for your mental health for your mentees to not be doom scrolling for hours a day staring at your fucking phone for 10 hours a day I wonder what it's like to not do that I'll never know I ain't quitting this Uh, I'm having some seltzer. I'm not quitting seltzer either. Is seltzer bad for you? Is it less hydrating than conventional water? Is it bad for your tooth enamel? Is it bad for your throat? Does it give you a throat cancer from the burning in your throat? I don't know. I don't want to know. Let me have this. And the, my other vices that I also... In- I'm not going to give up I have not exactly cut back on vices (laughs) but I don't have that many either it's just seltzer's one of them and I tell myself that it's one of the healthier ones because it's just water it's fruit flavored this one's mandarin orange does it have any fruit juice in it no 0% does it have any uh, vitamins or anything good like that no it is water it's clean water it's drinkable It's probably fine. Who cares? Vices. I'm getting a little sidetracked. Like I said, I'm kinda, I'm a little tired, a little punchy in the evenings these days because I have not fully shifted into cold season mode. Once I'm in it, I'm fine. It's the transition from the high energy go out out, outside all the time, kind of summery energy to the winter energy that's a little bit more, uh, you know, subdued, a little more indoors, and you're a little more used to artificial lighting. My brain hasn't quite made that jump yet, so I'm a little goofy for these couple of weeks. Just feel a little weird. But we're staying on it. We're putting out episodes of this goddamn podcast. so right up front please rate and review us on itunes help us out tell a friend spread the word blah 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 patreon.com slash self you get bonus episodes i just put a bonus episode out last week what's it about sign up for the patreon and find out fuck around and find out and by fuck around i mean give me a dollar Okay, that's all I wanted to say for now. Let's go to the interview. All right, well, uh, here we go. We're, uh, we're sitting here. We both got some exposed brick behind us. I know that the listener can't uh, tell, but you know, we both we, we both live in uh, apartments that they can get away with charging a little more rent because there's exposed brick. So just know that totally. about us that that's going on uh how is how is your week how have you been
1: it's really good man i just came back from a weekend uh getaway to the catskills um where i was uh away with uh, a lady i've been seeing and it was fantastic man just taking time off away from the grind of comedy and day job and just really enjoying life yeah That's uh, something i've really been focusing on this last like year and a half since i've had a time to think you
0: know is that hard for you to do, like it takes some time off and relax and like feel justified in, in doing that?
1: I mean, it's a lot less than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised at how at ease I was with not doing any comedy shows on Friday and Saturday and barely even thinking about it, just like really being in the country, going on hikes. Uh, We went to Storm King and checked out all the sculptures. That was really cool. Hell yeah. Uh, And just spent a lot of quality time with my lady friend. Just like, it was great.
0: Wow, that's great. Yeah. I mean, Storm King, that's the place to take a lady. That's where you do it. That's uh, yeah. that's that's a classic, you know, <laughs> date spot. Be it, be it a, a monogamous relationship, a non monogamous relationship. Um sure. You know, and and, and you're non monogamous. We'll get into that uh, in a while. I, I think that that stuff's interesting. Uh, but let's uh, let's yeah. start with you know, let's give a little bit of an origin story and uh, talk a little bit about uh your you know your formative years and and what you were like as as a youngin.
1: Yeah, man. I um. Well, I I was born here in New York City, uh, Queens, New York. Mom and dad split up when I was six, uh, just went their separate ways. I got the story actually years later from my grandmother when she was uh, in her cups of booze. (laughs) She told me that apparently my dad asked my mom to marry him and she said no. And I had never known that. This is when I was 17, I found out. I thought he just kind of like chose his career to go work overseas for the State Department, uh, for AID. Uh, That's the Agency for International Development. They like basically help out at developing countries. Um, And he wanted to do that and just kind of left us here. But he wanted us all to be together. My mom didn't want that. She didn't want to live that overseas life. So, you know, I was with my mom, my grandmother, until I was like seven. My mom got married to my stepdad. He sucked. Uh, We moved to Brooklyn. Uh, from Queens, And I was in, pretty much been in Brooklyn most of my life since then. My dad got remarried, got married, uh, I should say, to my stepmom about shortly after my mom and uh, stepdad got together. She also sucked. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, I think that's kind of like why I point to anything. I think that's why I do comedy, actually, because um,
0: it's not your parents. It's the step parents.
1: It's the step parents. It's think interesting they that they both were bad in the same way, actually. They were in, both like. In what
0: way? What way is that?
1: They were just like really shitty in the exact same way. They were very um, stern and withholding and not welcoming of me into the family. Mm. And that'll make you. Uh, that'll screw you up. You that's, know, a like weird, when-
0: <laughs> that's a weird move for a step parent to do because it's, it's usually the other way around, right? I mean, like, I'm from a wholesome fucking family and my parents are still together, but like, the impression I get is. If you're a step parent, you got to be working overtime to win over the kid that you're like marrying into because like they're the one who's like who's calling the shots and is like, I-, I don't that you're not my real dad. Like, I'm never going to accept you like all of that
1: stuff. That's very interesting you say that because my stepdad initially did do that. He would did that when he was courting my mom. When he was trying to get with her, he was like super, hey buddy, wanna go to the park? Hey buddy, wanna play baseball? Hey buddy. And then a the second like he locked it down and like they got married. He was like, This is my house. I make the rules. Uh uh-huh. don't question me. Like just my way the highway military drill sergeant type shit. And my stepmom, I actually give her a lot more credit and respect because she never fuck with me. She was like – from day one, she was like, I don't like you. Like that was her vibe. Like she wouldn't say much. Right. Uh, she was like, I, I, don't, I don't want you around. Her whole vibe was, I don't want you around. I'm tolerating you. Uh, please leave. And you know what? <laughs> I respect the honesty. I respect yeah. – I, I hate the person, but I respect the honesty and like there was no – there was no like underhanded, you know what I mean? There was no like, I'm gonna buddy up to you and buddy you up so I can get in good with your dad. It was like, nah, I don't fuck with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I kind of like respect. How did it. your dad feel about that? Like, what, what was his. Uh, I mean, to say the least, my parents were just fucking up. Like, they mm. were really, really screwing up. Um, when you're a single parent, your number one priority when you're dating should be uh, is this person someone who. I could see being around my kid in a positive way and right. being a positive influence, and like you know, and if you want to get really serious, like with a person, someone who could be a good step parent who could love them and like really welcome right. them, in, welcome them into a family, and like have them have like a spare parent basically. And my parents just did not do that. And I I've, over the years I've wrestled with that, and what I've come to is that you know people are very flawed, and um, the time was different people were just expected to be married with kids back then. Yeah. Um th- you know, there was obviously divorce, there was single parents, but it was a different it was just you know, people were kind of like lonely and exp- and 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 going along with kind of like what was the thing to do and I think that loneliness and that wanting to be to belong in the community and be kind of like, you know, a trad or traditional person right. Is kind of like the main thing that drove my parents to make some really objectively awful decisions when it came to selecting partners when I was a kid.
0: Were your own parents and the you know the subsequent step parents were they sort of socially conservative as well, or were they, was that just like kind of a separate
1: thing? It's so interesting. Like I was saying before, they my step parents. I really feel like they're so similar. It's scary. They're both very stern, devout Muslims. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, you know, fit with my parents, who were also at one point very devout, but over the years have become much less so. My dad is like now practicing Christianity, which is wild to me. I think it's because it's like his uh, his wife, my new stepmom, who's amazing by the way, is uh, is Christian. But oh, so you got a new really
0: stepmom? You got a, a
1: you got yeah, all kinds of moms. My, I got I got I got moms on moms on moms. <laughs> my. uh no, my stepmom now, Joan, she's wonderful. But my stepmother, previous, uh, my previous stepmom, Rashida, was uh, horrendous. Mm. And you know, uh, I cut them. I cut my step parents out of my life when my parents divorced them within a year and a half of each other. By the way, which is hilarious to me. Ten years ago, my parents very both weird. Liked, they
0: probably should have just peace. stayed. Like, it just it, <laughs> they just seemed like they were
1: like on like a weird like double helix thing happening? Like- my, my, my parents actually would have made a very good long-term couple, I think. I think that circumstances uh, broke them up, but yeah. I think if they had had some compromise, if they had made different decisions, they could have had a really nice, happy life together. But, you know, it is what it is. I have some wonderful siblings from my from those unions with my mm-hmm. stepmom and my dad and my mom and my stepdad. So, you know. But, um, yeah, it's a shame, though, because... When you come from a background like that it just it just makes you very very jaded and um i guess like negative about the prospects of like these traditional markers of adulthood like marriage and kids and all that stuff like i decided pretty early on i don't want kids and i probably don't want to get married and i can't help but think that like is a lot of that's because of my experience with it as a kid which just i never saw it work out i always saw it go really badly and specifically it was really badly in relation to my childhood you know Right. Uh, but I do think that those scars really run deep mm-hmm. um, when you have them in such a formative time. You know, like when you're a seven, six, you know, that's when you're just so innocent. You know, yeah. you look at the world as just a great place. And, you know, you know, to that point, everything been pr- had been going along pretty decently. Like, obviously, I knew my parents weren't together, but I felt loved. And my, my dad was around on the weekends and, you know, sometimes during the week as well when he was nearby. Um, but then, you know, you have these two monsters come into your life. You just kind of turn a little cold mm-hmm. towards a lot of things. And it's taken me a long time to really, like, come to be at peace with some of that. And a lot of it was cutting them off, which I think is very healthy. If I could if recommend anything to anyone, which is just toxic people, cut them out. Cut them out. Let you know, you don't need them. Kick them to the curb, put them in a, dumps, in a dumpster and pretend right. you never even knew them because it, it will only bring you strife to keep people like that in your life. People who cannot change, people who do not want to even come to any understanding or compromise with you. Just... Kick them to the curb. Who needs them?
0: That can be really difficult to do. Um, And, you know, like I I commend you for doing it. Um, But that's that's a thing that is exceedingly hard for people to do. And I think in previous previous generations, it was like basically impossible. Like now we're finally getting to a point where uh, family dynamics are maybe like more progressed or evolved to where like sure you know, uh, non-traditional families are more acceptable than also like the idea of not you know associating with members of your family is like acceptable because like going back generations that is just not something that you did you know and it is just um it's yeah it's hard I, it's it, it's got to be really hard for people to, to i do. mean yeah like, it's, I it's very tough
1: it's very tough, I have friends who have difficult relationships with their parents. I'm in a much uh you know more enviable position uh-huh. because the people who I've cut out are people who are just you know no longer you know in touch with my parents really in right. that way um if my dad was still married to my old stepmom, if my mom was still married to my dad, it'd be a lot more difficult um but I know I'm very stubborn uh when it comes to certain things, and I just know that with my like with the way that I am, if my parents had stuck it out with these people, then my parents would have suffered in terms of their relationship with me. I would have set very, very firm boundaries yeah. around what um, activities and people I, I, I was willing to be around. And it's probably for the best uh, all around that those people are just, are just gone because, yeah, I just think you, you, you gotta earn your way with people. Right. You don't just get to stay because you're a blood relative, by marriage, any of that yeah. stuff. You <laughs> earn your way into my life every single day. And um, Do, you you have... Do you think you would have? It like... doesn't matter. Do you think you would have? Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say it doesn't matter um, what your status was before. Like, yeah. Are you a positive influence in my life? Are you down for me? Are you uh, showing love? And if not, you got to go. You got to go. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll talk to people. I'll try. I tried um, in different ways uh, with my step parents early on, but it just was a losing battle, you know?
0: Yeah. As, would it have you think it would have been more difficult uh, had they remained married? Uh, had they like remained, you know, legally part of your family?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean incredibly difficult. Or if they were blood you know?
0: relatives, would that have made a difference?
1: Nah. Nah. I'm, um. I've, I've really drawn a hard line with this stuff over the years. Yeah. Uh, I know that I, I act from a position of like, well, of good intent. Like yeah. I treat people with respect. I, I, I try, I, I try to show up for people in their, in a positive way. And if that's not reciprocated, you got to go. Yeah. So it would have been tough, you know, obviously to, to maintain a relationship with my parents with them being attached to those monsters. But uh, but again, you know, like... Right. And you didn't want to that's cut not, your that's not biological parents
0: out because it seems like you have a okay relationship with them and they're decent people, albeit, you know, maybe made some not so great relationship choices, but haven't we all?
1: Yeah. You know, it's it's hard. It's hard. I've, I've had discussions with my dad and we really had it out like... About um, my step my former stepmom and his uh, being complicit and kind of excluding me from the family yeah. and, and from um, from having that part of that family be part of my life with my little brother and sister on that side, and with just spending time with him because she was just such such a, a negative malignant force that uh, you know I didn't want to be around her and she didn't really wanna be around me either. So we had out and he's apologized and he's really tried his best to make amends over the years. Um, and we have a, a, a decent relationship now. I saw him. I made plans to see him um, when I went to D.C. to do shows a couple weeks ago. It was great. Hung out with him and Joan, um, and we really had a wonderful time. And it's been great that she's so welcoming of, of me. Yeah. Uh, but you know, with my with my mom, it's been harder because my mom was my superhero. You know, like she was the one who stayed and raised me, and like really has always been like the backbone. Like whenever I needed anything, I could go, I could go to her.
0: Right. When
1: I I, I tore my knee really badly a couple of years like five years ago, and she swooped in and just like fixed everything. And it's hard to like hold that person accountable for mistakes they made when they've been so good in other ways. Right. You know. Yeah. So it's that's the, it, that was, that's it's tough.
0: really hard if you love a parent so much and have so much uh, reverence for them and yet they do something that's epically disappointing to you. Mm-hmm. And then it finally, it, a, it humanizes them and it sort of breaks the illusion of them being this superhero. But also then you have to, you're at odds with like your love for them, but also you, you have that, like, what the fuck, what's your deal? Like what, what's wrong with you? You know? And yeah. that's a really hard, uh, circle to square, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, this I think happens in every you know, no matter what this happens in everybody's life. I think there's a moment where your parents suddenly become human. And there's a moment oh, yeah. where your parents remember, are just like, are like, oh, you're you're kind of you like you don't know like you're kind of an idiot. I remember
1: like, I remember the moment when my dad and then also by extension my mom became just like people to me. I was probably in high school. My dad was visiting the States with my little brother and little sister from that side and my stepmom. And we were out in the mall in Long Island and uh, my stepmom had been busting his balls all day. And she was a real ball buster, like a real, like she would get at you and not get lot, not let up. Right. And my dad, uh, my stepmom, my brother and sister were walking way ahead of us in the mall. And my dad turned to me and he says, be very careful about the person you choose to spend the rest of your life with. It's a very important decision and a very difficult one to correct. Jesus. And I remember, yeah, I remember being 17 being like, damn, right. homie, you screwed up and you have some regrets. And that's when yeah. I was like, you know what? My, my dad is just a dude who made some bad decisions. And I kind of, by extension, kind of forgave him in a way at that moment, but also forgave my mom. Um, so I think in hindsight, that was a really important moment for me where I was just like, you know what? People just make some bad calls sometimes. It can be almost impossible to face that though, to know that the person
0: who is responsible for your safety is like not a necessarily super stable, trustworthy person. Sounds like, you know, your parents were, your biological parents were doing their best. Um, but you know I, I wonder
1: about yeah i wonder I, about that okay but, <laughs> i mean i wonder about that
0: but i mean they maybe i don't know it doesn't sound like there was i don't know like uh like true uh malice or like an unfixable problem a personality disorder an addiction something like that that's just like you are not going to get around this shit and this person is like kind of just damaged goods um mm. that's that's when i think it is i mean not to minimize your problems but like uh like i've talked to people who like they slowly realize like oh my mom is like crazy or is a narcissist or oh my dad is like an abusive yeah. monster oh my dad like is like a misogynist and will never respect me like you know stuff mm-hmm. like that where you're just like what do you do with that like you know
1: well I know that my parents are good people. Mm, see, that's... My, it, yeah, to to my yeah, the, my step parents. Accepting that
0: they like your parents are like an act like actually bad people is gotta be fucking rough.
1: Yeah, and I have uh, friends who've had to go through that, and I'm I'm lucky in that way. My parents are good people; they love me very much. Uh, they made some bad decisions, and yeah. I definitely uh, I've forgiven that mm. stuff for the most part. I think I don't think I um can completely excuse it or 100% just put that bygones bygones because it it was very hurtful. But um, I do think that like it also modeled for me what I do not want. And I think knowing what you don't want is very, very important. Mm. So I I definitely can take that positive from it. Like I know exactly what kind of relationships I don't want and what kind of people I don't want in my life. So – that's been something that's been helpful i think so
0: uh you mentioned you were um you were raised muslim um and can you can you talk about that a little bit like how much that had maybe had or did not have an influence on on your upbringing
1: yeah it's interesting i from a very early early time just saw a lot of holes in it yeah uh And in all religion. I mean, my my grandmother was very Baptist, uh, went to church every Sunday until she was very, very old and she passed away last year. And, uh, you know, well, my grandmother actually, well, my grandmother on my dad's side passed away last year. My grandmother on my mom's side passed away uh, this year. And they were both very Christian. And I just—I don't know—I just saw like a lot of hypocrisy and things. I remember walking into the the mosque when I was like maybe nine or ten, and just it was so weird because I was—I went to like this really radical like black nationalist middle school, right? And we we learned a lot about Black history every day. Black history was a part of the curriculum every single day, and you know we learned a lot about segregation, about Jim Crow, about you know the injustices. That were visited on black people, and even still to this day, and it was so striking to me that the men and the women were separated in the way they were in the mosque. The men were downstairs and what I th- what I saw as like the good seats near the imam when he was like leading the prayer, and the women and children were upstairs in like the balcony and kind of what I saw as the cheap seats. And I was like, wow, this seems really familiar, and I don't like it.
0: <laughs> isn't that funny yeah. how like you know you like the the difference can just be sort of like overlooked like one can be very conscious of uh racism and segregation yeah. and all of the problems that come along with that but uh, sure. and, but yet still within
1: that group they're
0: just like yeah but also women are yeah they're also second-class citizens like we're they yeah i think i was
1: people. I think I was like the world's tiniest feminist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, this is messed up. I don't like it. And then also, um, it's interesting that like I never responded well to because I said so. Mm-hmm. And I just look at so much of religion as because I said so. And I'm like, nah, but why though? Right. And there's never a good answer. It's just like this book said so because I said so, and I'm like, no, thank you. So I was just out very early on, but you know, like any kid, you have to tolerate it because your parents just tell you what you got to do. And then I, my, I gave a lot of props to my mom when I was like 11 or 12. She just came to me one day and she was like, you know, uh, you're gonna have to decide whether you want to keep going to the mosque or not.
0: Yeah, because
1: I was really starting every we go every Friday to Juma. Um, uh, weekly services at the mosque on Fridays were a big deal. It's called Juma. And there's a big gathering with like food and also prayers and stuff. And I just didn't like going because I was just out on religion early. Right. And she just saw that, I think, and was like, this is a personal this personal decision. This isn't for me to decide what, what your relationship is with spirituality, so you can decide. And I was like, cool, I'm not going. And she was like, all right, I said you could decide and that's what's going to be. So after that, I never went back again. And to her credit, she never really got in my case about it. So really I always, cool yeah. I always give her props to that because I know a lot of people didn't have that experience. So
0: they did they convert at some point in their lives? Your parents?
1: Yeah, they were both raised Christian, and then they converted, like a lot of young black people did in the '60s. Right. They, uh, especially in New York, they used to go see Malcolm X speak. Wow. And that was actually kind of part of their courtship. Um, and uh, you know, that was a big part of life for, you know, young black people in the 60s and 70s. A lot of it was connected to the civil rights struggle. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously, Dr. King with the Baptist Church then Malcolm with the Nation of Islam and then later just on his own um, were big parts of that. So I think that was, you know, a big part of the spirituality was connected to, you know, social movements for young black people back then.
0: Yeah. I mean, so I'm. Mean, you grew up in New York in the '80s and '90s, which was a whole different vibe. It was a whole different city than, um,
1: you know. It was wild. It people must have been. do not. People who are complaining right now about how crime has gone up since COVID can go fuck themselves. They have no idea what New York City was like when I was a kid. I would walk home in fear from school. On a regular basis, I would get jumped. I'd have my hat, my I had like eighteen I had like eighteen hats stolen right. <laughs> during the course of my childhood. You couldn't even keep a hat in your head. You would just walk by and just be stolen. I had I had like three or four bikes stolen. Our house got broken into literally seven times. Stole my mom's wedding ring, stole our electronics. One time we came home, they were still in the house robbing it when we got home. Thank God they heard us and like got scared and ran out the back way and like right. you know, threw it down a fire escape. New York was a fucking war zone and people now are complaining and it is literally one of the safest big cities in the world still. Yeah. Man, when I was a kid, it was a nightmare. I, I like a lot of things about growing up, having grown up here. I think it's definitely given me, gave me some toughness and taught me some street smarts and made me more um, accepting of different kinds of people and more welcoming of different cultures. But man, it was rough for a kid who was like sensitive and not that big to grow yeah. up here every kid i was friends with uh who wasn't like a big tough kid would carry money in their sock mm-hmm. you would have the money in your pocket that you would give to robbers you would, you would prepare for robbery every day before you went to school you have money in your pocket just in case you got robbed and then you have most of your money in your sock so your money would be covered in sweat and filth it was right. insane um little things like, I don't know, you just always had to be aware. It was a very dangerous place. It was not dangerous in an exciting way, at least for me. It was very, very terrifying at times. When I got older, I finally felt like more safe. But as a little kid, it was rough.
0: Yeah, I think people maybe mistakenly uh, romanticize some of that. And, you know, there is something to be said about like when New York was just sort of Uh, I don't know, just like a sort of cracked out shithole in the 70s through the 90s. Oh, my God. You know, you could find cheap rent here. And there were like all these like crazy Mm. dirtbag artists living here and like all of that, like interesting art scenes were happening. But I think that that's the part that people want to remember and not so much like, oh, you couldn't walk to the subway and feel safe you know like that
1: no you couldn't i mean i remember one thing was that i had a lot of friends who kind of had their own personal crackhead mm-hmm. just a dude who would just ask them for money aggressively every single day on the way to school because they just hung out next to the train station where they would get on the train to go to school and this is like a thing that was just a normal thing you know like now i don't know it's just a very different place in a way that people don't appreciate because they weren't here and they're lucky they weren't here. They're lucky they were back in Wisconsin or wherever they came from because <laughs> it was really, really rough.
0: Let's talk about depression a little bit. Um, you sure. uh, experienced some depression and started going to therapy in '09, but then like, it sounds like what really got you... Uh, what really helped with it was getting in, into comedy. Um, so can you talk about
1: that yeah, yeah. journey a little bit? I mean, in hindsight... Your boy should have been in, in therapy uh, from the way back. I agree. <laughs> I mean, from <laughs> yeah. the high school days, beyond just like having like just these two monster dog shit people as step parents. Uh, just like being black in America stress Yeah, is something that, you know, we all should have been addressing a lot more than, you know, before the Black Lives Matter movement started popping off these last few years. Like – You just think about just like the little everyday shit you have to go through just being black, just like being followed around at a store that, you know, you have no intention of stealing from, you know, or, you know, being profiled by the cops, uh, having your friends have horrible things done to them by the police and seeing discrimination that your family and friends go through. All that stuff is all the kind of stuff you should go to therapy to talk to somebody about so that you don't go crazy, hurt somebody else, or just kill yourself. And that's something that I really wish I had gotten into and even had someone steer me into as a young person because it's so necessary. Black folks who are listening, go to therapy. Yes. Uh, trust me, we need it <laughs> because this country is <laughs> fucked and it always has been in a way that is very specific to damaging our mental health. Um, there's that. And then there's like, there were severe. Periods of severe depression that started kind of jumping off in college of loneliness uh, where I was just like, man, um, you know, I don't know if I want to be here. Uh, And it got bad. I remember I knew I knew it was getting bad. And I almost almost went to therapy in college because of this. There was sophomore year like. All my friends got girlfriends and I didn't. So I was just by myself all the time because, you know, when young men get girlfriends, they're just like, oh, I'm going to go have sex as sure, much yeah. as possible. Yeah. And they were just like, peace, nigga. I'm out. I'm going to have sex. <laughs> and, and I was like, you know what? Do you, man. I can't, I can't be mad at you. But I was by myself, so I was very sad. And I would be in my, <laughs> I would be in my room, in my underwear, with uh, sometimes with my headphones on, sometimes not, blasting the cranberries. That is some depressing ass music, dude. <laughs> Zombie. Yeah. That shit is like, yo. If you, your public service announcement. If you see your homie blasting cranberries, you gotta get them the therapy stat. <laughs> that is that is a sign that things have gone awry in their mentals. <laughs> so, yeah. I that was when the, my first time remembering that. You know, I I needed to some help, um, and then I, I really hit home. Uh, I guess. After I moved back to Brooklyn, that was probably 2001, I was working in retail, and then 9-11 happened two weeks after I moved back to New York. Um, mm-hmm. And it was terrible, obviously, for everyone. But then, like, I was working in retail, and one of the things about retail is that, you know, when there's no customers, and I was in, like, a tourist area, and there's no tourists come to the city. So when there's no customers, the, the management just, like, focuses inwards and nitpicks at the staff because they have to justify their jobs. Yeah. So I just had like these managers up my ass. I was working at Champ Sports, it was horrible. And uh, I was so bummed out and I was living with a buddy of mine and he was like, dude, one morning he was like, he just saw me like how miserable I was getting ready for work and he was like, dude, you have to quit your job. I don't care, don't pay, don't pay rent. Uh, you can pay me back, whatever it is. We were living like in this apartment above his mom's house and I was paying him rent while he was in law school. Nicest thing anyone's ever done for me, by the way. He was like, "Dude, quit your job. I don't give a shit about you paying me rent. You're miserable. I can't stand to see you like this. Yeah, quit your job. Sick. Find anything. Do anything else because I can't stand to see you like this." Yeah. And uh, I quit like the next week, and then I, you know, was kind of lost in my like, professionally for a long time. Um, but you know, I ended up getting into therapy '09. That helped a lot, and then I found comedy and kind of like. A lot of my depression was kind of alleviated by that. Just having a passion for something and f- feeling that I was good at something was yeah. really important. Um, but I had a lot more anxiety because of comedy. Uh, because of uh, the, the it pushes on your buttons of like you know feeling of self worth of yeah. you know imposter syndrome of com- competition and jealousy and all these things you don't even think about until you're in it. And um, You know, it definitely was very helpful to go at that point, 2014, get back into therapy, address some of that anxiety that was coming from comedy and then address some childhood stuff in there as well. And that's got me on a good path for sure.
0: Were you able to access therapy like through uh, college or through a job or, um, you know, like uh, did you like insurance wise were you were you set up?
1: I had Obamacare nice and i was able to find a really good sliding scale therapist yeah uh who was wonderful and it was interesting though because it was 2014 it was like a lot of black lives matter trayvon like a lot of things were going on with that my therapist was old white lady uh from connecticut and she just didn't understand a lot of that stuff so i would like kind of kind of try to educate her about some of those issues from my point of view and then she would help me out with my mental state so it was very like uh, it was a very it was very much like a, a, a relationship that where there was an exchange of ideas going on It was symbiotic and it was very symbiotic and yeah. it, it helped me a lot i think I like to think it helped her she's now retired uh, but yeah man, that was an important time because I was losing it the the comp, the, the, the anger and frustration and just like ugh I, it actually was a failed romance with another comedian. And then my really terrible behavior, pettiness about how it ended when it wasn't even a big deal that led me to like, oh, I got to go and talk to somebody.
0: Yeah, I feel like when I mean, when comics date, it can be really good. But then when they break up, then that is that is a clash of two egos that can be real messy.
1: Yeah, and it's also just not good to have to be around someone that you just broke up with a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so well, that I mean, was it, it, it's, yeah. you're,
0: you're in the same industry. You're going to be on the same stages. You're going to be like oh on God. the same apps. You're going to be you know just like just mingling with each other so much, and you're going to like one of you is going to get more successful. Oh yeah.
1: Like, oh my (laughs) God. Horrible. Oh yeah. I've seen that one. It's so funny. It's like almost like clockwork. If there is a huge mismatch, if there's a I'm sorry, a huge mismatch. Mm -hmm. Say that three times fast. Huge mismatch. Uh in success between two people who are dating in the same industry, it's almost like guaranteed it is going to break up. Yeah. Because people cannot (laughs) handle that shit. I've seen it time and time again. It's so funny, man. Uh, but yeah, it was it was definitely it ended up being a good thing that I had that happen because yeah. I don't know if I would have, if I would have just jumped into therapy if I didn't have that happen.
0: There's this movie uh, that I recommend. You can probably find it on YouTube because it's like a like kind of low budget documentary. It's called Guest of Cindy Sherman, um, and it's about it's it's I think you dig it because I mean it's also like very like eighties uh, nineties New York City vibes. Um, but it, uh, it's about this guy it's made by, from the guy's perspective. He was this, uh, public access, um, guy who, who just, he, he had a show on public access that was, uh, basically showcasing local artists. Right. And, uh, so then through that show, he met Cindy Sherman and she was this like young kind of rising talent. Um, and they were about the same age, and they were both just sort of like young, spunky artists. And they, <clears throat> you know, had like a meet cute and they started dating, and it was really great for a while. And then she blew up, she got huge. And the whole movie is from his perspective. I think the narrative that he's trying to set is just like, look how fucked I got. And I'm such a sad sack, and I'm such a sad, oh, poor me, because I got left mm. behind, and like the whole like crux of the movie is that like you know he his invite to some party that she was going to was like his invite was addressed to guest of cindy sherman it wasn't even his name he was like oh that was really and it was just like the whole movie is just him being such a little bitch that that his girlfriend is doing great and is being and, and is like achieving you know stellar success that he can't get over the fact that it's not happening for him because he thinks it should be happening for him too. I don't think he's aware of this like the underlying story that he's actually telling. I think he thinks that he's telling the story of like, well, she fucked me over and like all of that stuff. And like this this'll show her and like this isn't gonna show her in a good light and it's it's amazing.
1: I mean that is the classic story of what happens specifically when it's in the direction of like the woman being more successful than a man in yeah. like a heterosexual relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's, it is so, yeah. I mean, I, I think personally that men just can't take it. You could just. you know?
0: Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm like projecting some of my, like, I don't know, woke feminist bullshit on it, but like it really felt to me like as I was watching, it was like, you can't handle that your girlfriend is more successful than you because she's more talented than you and like why don't you just stop being a chump and like accept that like cool I can ride these coattails like this is great like now my girlfriend's rich and like now I can kind of do what I want and like now I have access to a higher echelon of artists and like I can work with this like but instead it's all about just like no it should be happening for me because I'm the man like fucking oh my god that fucking guy It's great. I I I should have him on the podcast. I I want to get him on the show.
1: (laughs) show. (laughs) Call him to account for his treachery.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I mean, like maybe maybe he's learned. Maybe like that's not the like that's what I read it as when I was watching it. I was just like, you're being such a little twerp. You're being such a little fucking baby. You know, like I don't know. But it's 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 really incredible. So you um got into therapy as a result of kind of a bad breakup or uh, we got yeah, back man. into therapy and uh, so what what did you discover what what were the revelations I mean, it,
1: there it's so funny and like i've taken so many coping skill, skills and lessons from therapy but the main one is that i just know what pushes my buttons and i know that whenever i get very angry or sad it's just this reaction to like to childhood stuff it's very cliché but it's very true yeah. um I have issues with feeling excluded Mm. and that's comes directly from being intentionally excluded by people who were supposed to love me the most. So I see it flare up in like nonsense. Like there's a, a hang with a bunch of comedians in the park and i wasn't invited and i might not even be that close friends with any of them but i'm like how come i wasn't invited i'm a cool guy i've done things i'm in the know i'm like a, one of the the people who gets yeah. booked on things and it's like this like i deserve and it's ridiculous and most of the time people are not even thinking about you everyone is doing their own thing we all have our own struggles it's not about you and i really internalize that and it it, it one of the real things that I, I had to work on in therapy at the time back then was like this stuff with booking. It was driving me crazy and it was making me have blood vendettas against people. Yeah. Like were, I had a list that I actually, I'm a Virgo, so I put it, of course, in the Google Doc. <laughs> I,
0: oh, yeah, it, I was going to ask, did you write it down? But like you put a Google Doc, that is organized. Oh yeah,
1: I, had, I still have a Google Doc of people. Who were like on my bad list? <laughs> okay, you don't, say, you
0: don't have to say who on air, but can, can, we, can, we, can you tell me later who it to- is? Yes, but here's okay. the
1: thing: it's become it's become a lot more reasonable. It's not like uh, and a lot of it was just with booking because it was like you know you have a list of people. You, if you had, I've had hot shows that I've produced in the past. I have one now that's good, and you know you just get hit up constantly by people, and you have to start keeping track of who's. Asking you to do shows, who you're booking. So, I had one list of just like booking sheets. I had a booking sheet for each show, and then I also had a separate list of just like a master list of just people who I just didn't think were good, just didn't think were funny. I wouldn't wouldn't be, or they just did bad in the show, and or were just really really shitty to me. And I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna book these people. Um, but it's funny, I noticed that I've like went through a few years ago and just kind of like called that list. Like, okay, you were being ridiculous about this person. You're being like little. About this person, right. let's like dial it back. Uh, but it's just funny that, like, you know, at that time, I had all these issues with some of these producers of these shows, and in hindsight, I had no reason to have any issue at all because there's no such thing as deserve. Uh, comedy is very subjective, no one owes you anything, and beyond that, like, if someone if you don't tell someone you have a problem with them it's your problem it's not their problem It's not their job to read your mind and intuit that you have done something that you know it's it's one of those deals where i just had a lot of like silent grudges and i just let those things go gradually over the years mm. and i'm happy that i was able to do that because it was really starting to like poison my life you know just like make me unhappy and like why am i making myself unhappy with this thing that doesn't even matter
0: right I mean, it's 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 amazing how seriously people take the job of getting on stage and telling jokes, you know, like it's it's a it's a it's it's all based on fun and leisure time. Like that's the entire job.
1: It's just the problem is, you know, it's intensely competitive Mm -hmm. and it social media does not help. No, because we're on there. Seeing the highlight reel of everyone's life, yep. no one puts their difficult moments on there. So you, just, you can look at social media for like a couple hours and think everyone is doing better than you. And then you start comparing, then you start despairing, then you start getting angry and jealous. And I've made rules around social media for myself. Like I am not allowed to scroll, point blank, period. I get in and I get the F out. Because if I scroll for more than a few minutes, I'm going to feel bad about something.
0: Do you have like actual like uh, app timers? I know they make those, those like.
1: I tried that and I've actually found that since I stopped using those, I've become better about it. Because I was just game the system and like, you know, restart it constantly and like cheat. But now I just like, I just made a very mature decision. Like I'm very busy and there's nothing on there that I want to see anyway. I've also uh, muted anyone who makes me feel bad at all. And yeah. it could be friends of mine. If I have a jealousy with someone, I just mute them. Because if right. I don't see what's going on, it doesn't exist. Yeah. So, um, or if I'm like angry at someone or, or bitter about a show not booking me or angry at this or that, I just mute it or unfollow whatever it is and just like take it out of my life because life is, there's too many good things going on yeah. for me to be focusing on negative things. Like, this is honestly the best time of my life this last year and a half, which is really weird because it's the pandemic (laughs) and like millions of people are dead, but it is, it has objectively been the best time of my life. So why would I waste my time with like bringing negativity into it?
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard not to do, I mean, cause you can't fully abandon social media really, you know, unless you're like I don't know, Bill Murray or something. And you're like, everybody knows who you are and you don't have to tell people where you are and what you're doing. And, you know, people are like teaming to get a hold of you. I know like a few people who, who like work in, you know, the arts or the, you know, like comedy industries, anything like that, uh, that don't have social media, but it's very difficult to do. I'm um, so
1: envious. I'm so envious of the few people I know. This guy, Ethan... Uh, Simmons Patterson, yeah. super funny, super yeah. funny guy. This guy's got no Instagram. I think he's barely even on Facebook. And uh, I'm like, this guy is my hero. He's just super funny. He's in at the comedy cellar. He does <laughs> gigs, and he just got what he's gotten from like word of mouth. Just yeah. other comedians and people saying this guy's hilarious, and that's great. You know, I I, I definitely want to. Try to build up a little bit of online following so I can start, you know, kind of doing stand-up more on my own terms and making my own shows and having people come to see me. So I don't think that will work for me. But, man, it's uh, it's very, very impressive to, like, not feel the pressure to be on social media because obviously we're learning more and more now with all these secret You know findings that are coming out that like they know how bad this stuff is for us and they do not care because it's so profitable.
0: No they don't only they not only don't care they like they love that they're like oh god we got these fuckers by the balls like we have them. They can't quit
1: us. They do. They can't
0: put it down. They, like, they know how long we spend on each of those apps. And they're just like, oh, they're literally addicted to it. This is fucking awesome. You just reminded me I have to email uh, Ethan because I, I, I met him and I wanted to have him on the show. And he was like, yeah, let me give me my email. I don't have social media. And I was like, well, what? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I sent him like one email. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of busy right now. Um, but, you know, get back to me. And I just I never did because it's not on social media. And I'm not constantly reminded that he exists. So.
1: Dude, it's he's he's my hero. He's it's really so funny. great that he's yeah. not on there. He's really funny, and he's just not on there. And honestly, like my life, I just know would be a lot happier if I wasn't on there at all because <sighs> it just like there's something it's designed to piss you off because that's what that's what you know spurs engagement. Yeah. So like you know it's it's uh, oh man, what a, what do a you gift get to the other side
0: there. of it though? Do you get the like the the little cocaine bump, the little dopamine rush every time you get a like?
1: You get that like nice little mm. A little bit, but the main thing though is that I I don't really get a chance to enjoy any of that because I don't again, I'm I just set through this rule that I'm not really allowed to scroll or even like really yeah. dwell on there. So I don't really get to see the likes pouring in or anything, you know, which was definitely a draw before. But and then you know, on Facebook I'm just like just refused to go on there because oh, it's place such a toxic sucks. Yeah, no, i such I've, a toxic I've, I've,
0: place. I, my account still exists, but I haven't even signed on in I don't know how long. It's just so same. Annoying.
1: I I don't have the app on my phone. I have the 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 messenger so yeah. that people can book me book me for shows because people I still do get booked on shows quite a bit on there. Um, that's the thing that sucks is that there are opportunities that I've gotten because of Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like a uh, uh, an advertising executive was a friend of a friend and thought my posts were funny. So you know this was seven five years ago. And I've been writing commercials for her period- periodically wow. that have, like, been on national TV because she just saw me on Facebook being funny. Yeah. So, like, stuff like that is, like, it does make you think, uh, oh, well, I don't know. I guess I should have some presence on there, but I just yeah. can't engage with it. One like of my best to.
0: friends got, like, his dream job, with Cartoon Network, by tweeting, you know? And, like, it just it happens. And so, like, that's the sure. other side of it. And, like, honestly... Um, i it's something that like i struggle to put my phone down sometimes because i will just like i'll refresh and i'm i know consciously that i'm looking at the same tweets like i already saw this i already scrolled like i've already seen all the tweets from like last night and i'm just gonna hit it again and like i know like i also like I can't deny that like there is this rush that happens when I get the little push notification that there's like the little heart, you know, emoji, like mm-hmm. up at the top of the, up at the top of the phone, like
1: someone, like, I mean, it's perfectly designed, stations. like, you know, oh, yes, fuck yeah, it's perfectly, it's designed like a slot machine, you know, yeah. we've all seen these things where they design it perfectly to like, even like pulling down to get new stuff is like pulling a slot machine, yep. then like showing you the hearts like that is like a slot machine. It's all like yeah, designed icons, with like Vegas. Little, yeah yeah it's like all Vegas style you know psychological warfare that they learned from years of Vegas just taking one's money so it's um it's very unfortunate but it is uh it can be very addictive, so you know I just encourage everyone to like use it less because it's so bad for you
0: what's your uh time limit on those apps
1: uh so I don't have a time limit set uh i got to a point where I felt like I no longer needed to do that because again, I'm not, I'm not allowed to scroll. So like, literally when I start, if I catch myself scrolling even like three three uh, posts in, I just turn it off and I catch myself. Wow. And thankfully, I haven't really had to keep catch myself too often lately because um, I've been really focusing on trying to uh, write more and I know that any minute that I'm, I'm on social media is a minute that I could be writing jokes. Mm. Um, So that's like a one for one that I'm glad to trade off. You know, I'm not going to trade off like hanging out with my friends or spending time with romantic partners, but I am going to 100% of the time turn my phone off to write jokes. Um, So that's been helpful.
0: Yeah. So um, right at the top of the show, you mentioned that you went to Storm King with a, with a special lady, um, yeah. and that you know you you uh, you're a non-traditional in your relationships. You you're ethically non-monogamous. I think is the term, which I know is a yep. very loaded term, and like you know is a very loaded term that like comes with all yeah. of this assumptions that people make about you know a certain type of annoying burlesque you know nerdy person that gravitates <laughs> towards that lifestyle you know but yeah. um you know talk a little bit about that and 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 your journey to to uh, non monogamy
1: yeah man i was just like uh living foul for a long time and like just cheating mm. not being a good person with women i was seeing and never felt comfortable in these uh, traditional relationships, um, but never thought there was an option that was different, which is really silly because we're in New York City. (laughs) Like, there are people doing all different versions of everything, of er any walk of life in New York. So it's pretty funny that I was like, oh, there's options other than this traditional thing I've been doing? It's like, dude, look around, jackass. (laughs) Like That's all I had to do to figure out that there was something different I could be doing and i guess like the the last thing was um i was in a i was dating a really wonderful person uh at the during the pandemic at the early early end of the pandemic towards the end of uh of 2020 actually also i guess we started dating in june and uh of 2020 and then we had like a really nice romance when we were kind of like mainly just seeing each other because of the pandemic and um getting close but the whole time I wanted to be non-monogamous. I said that up front early on. She was more like, well, let's see about having you know a period of monogamy first and then let's figure out um, tackling right. the non-monogamy at a later date, which is in hindsight it was a bad idea. And I just wanted to, to not be monogamous the whole time. Um, thankfully, I didn't act on anything. I wasn't like running around on her. But it it, it didn't work out. And after that, I was like, you know what? You've been banging your head against the, against the wall for you know your whole life with these monogamous relationships. They've never worked for you. You've usually cheated. Why don't you try something different? And I started reading and I started like talking different to, to people. My friend has been non-monogamous for a long time, and my oldest high school friends. I'm like, I'm just gonna try this out. So I on a dating app, I just put you know non-monogamous um, and was upfront about that from the very beginning. And I started to slowly meet people who were like-minded and. And now I'm seeing two, like, really wonderful women. Um, and it's been really... It's two of the healthiest relationships I've ever had. Yeah. And I'm definitely healthier than I've ever been. I talked to my parents about this uh, within the last couple of months, and that was interesting. My dad was just amazed. <laughs> he was like, what? That's an option? You could do that? <laughs> like, he was just like... His mind was blown, but he was also kind of, like, amazed and jealous, I guess. And then right. my mom was just like, what? She was confused, but she was also happy for me because... I told them straight up, I'm like, I've never been happier. And my friends see it. They're like, dude, you are so happy. Like, yeah. you just seem like a different person. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's because, partially because I got my romantic life in order and I'm living authentically. I don't, I don't have any guilt in my life. I'm not running around feeling like a, like a dirt bag. Yeah. Um, I'm straight up with the, my partners and it's, it's wonderful. Uh, I've also like never felt as loved and supported as I am right now. And I've never given love and support as much as I have right now, which is a really wonderful gift. Um, It's been great, man.
0: How do you navigate, uh, I I mean, I feel like the first thing that always comes up in my mind with non-monogamy is how to navigate jealousy. Um, Mm -hmm. How does that, how do you do that?
1: Well, I've learned a lot about myself during this last year and a half of kind of like not doing as much as I was doing before because of the pandemic. And one of the things that I've discovered is that I am not a jealous person. Hmm. I've I've never really been a jealous person. I guess maybe when I was maybe was in college for a minute I had that kind of streak in me, but I think a lot of it just, a lot of that was just unresolved shit from uh childhood right. things I had to had to That's a little bit yeah. at
0: odds with um you know not feeling included and that being like a huge, you know, emotional trigger for you.
1: Yeah, it's a weird thing. I um, I just don't have that romantic jealousy. I am genuinely happy um, when a partner meets someone who's really nice and makes them feel makes them feel loved and makes them feel like um, they're a better person. Yeah, uh, I think that doing this whole thing has made me open up in a way that I just never would have been anticipated in terms of just like my capacity to support someone, but also communicate. There's a lot of communication. That is the main important thing is you have to communicate openly and honestly and consistently. We have check in I have check-ins with the women I'm seeing about our relationship, like regularly. Just be like, hey, how are you feeling about things? Like, is there anything you want to address? Like, here's something I thought of that maybe we could do better or different. And it's like the most healthy thing that I've ever done. I've right. never felt comfortable doing a check in with someone I was dating, which is so stupid because that's the person you should be checking in with more than anyone else, yeah, um yeah, so that's been a really positive development in my life like i'm one of the things I'm most grateful for over this last couple of years, uh as much as they've been bad in other ways, is that like I came to this realization, and then like other little things, just like I came to a lot of realizations about life in general. I got my own place, which is like long overdue. Uh, I got a steady right. day job that's that's remote, that pays all the bills so I don't have to feel like a desperate person doing comedy, yeah. which I think is so ideal. I could not recommend that high more highly for people who are doing anything in the arts. Like Get a good job. Buy, get, a, get a good, flexible day job yeah. that knows what you're up to, supports what you're up to, but also pays your bills so that you're not beholden to this idea of success and, and striving and, and um, scraping to make it. You don't have to be too
0: specific, but what is your uh, current uh, day job?
1: Sure. I have a really great customer service job uh, for a company here in Brooklyn that is like super chill. Uh, They support what I'm doing. Uh, A bunch of my coworkers are coming out to see me on a big show at Gotham Comedy Club uh, this Tuesday. Really excited about that. I guess that's tomorrow night from when we're filming, when we're taping. And uh, it's just really nice to have like that stability because... I realized you know having it now that i was really missing it before you don't realize how much stress goes into your life just from living in a place that's expensive and worrying about where you're next
0: dude like you know I i mean the amount of times i've sort of traced the thread back to like why do i feel like why am i getting so upset at this so quickly or like why am i losing my shit over this or like why am i you know like what led to this string of bad decisions it's like a lot of the times just felt like it, it's it's been because i felt like i am on such thin ice you know uh, just financially materially and you can't live with that level of stress it's like you can do it for a while and people almost kind of idealize it when you're you know the starving artist quote unquote in your 20s and you're living on, like, grilled cheese and ramen noodles and, like, you have five roommates and stuff, but you can't fucking do that forever. And, like, I just turned yeah. 37, and, like, I'm starting to finally... I'm finally getting there where I'm, like, I've been walking dogs for five years, and that's been fine, but I can't fucking do that forever. Like, dude, I can't. Like, dude, I, I, I did,
1: I did te- uh, nine years yeah. of dog walking. No, longer because I I was doing it before I had my own little service, but I was doing it for two years before that. I did did almost 11 years of dog walking, and it's one of the biggest regrets of my life (laughs) because I could have been putting my college degree to use to get a much more lucrative and flexible day job doing customer service like I am now online for a company and had my own apartment for all these years and not dealt with annoying roommates and just had a much better quality of life while also pursuing my dream in a more uh in a more comfortable way and I I'm happy and I and I can I got to say I don't think that um having that dog walking job made me hungrier to make it because I've really reanalyzed re I've reexamined what that even means yeah um you know, the old system of, at least in stand-up, the old system of, like, where first you start hosting, then you're feature, then you're a headliner. That does not work anymore. Yeah. Uh. The, the math is against you. There's only so many headlining spots. A lot of them are being taken up by YouTubers and people who have podcasts. And the only way to do stand-up comedy on your own terms is to have your own following. So anything you're doing that doesn't involve getting your own following going is kind of like... I don't know. It it just yeah. it doesn't really make sense. So, I was kind of chasing a broken system. Yeah. <laughs> like I did I did late night TV probably 10 years after it even mattered to do it. Right. So- I mean, that's
0: the thing. Like, you know, like that used to be the thing. Like you get on Carson or whatever and then like then you're made, you know, and you're in the fucking sure. club. And now I can't tell you how many comedians I've talked to who have done Conan, who have done Letterman, who have done Fallon, This or That, and they also they still walk dogs like and they're they're telling me about like taping for um you know Jimmy Kimmel like as we're doing a moving job together you know <laughs> like
1: bro like, I, that's been one of the one of the main things that has helped kept me sane over these last I don't know nine years doing comedy is coming to this realization that like you cannot look from the outside at what someone has and think you know what's going on or be jealous of them or. Uh, Be envious because, man, hype doesn't pay the bills. Um, People are living a really low quality of life with 80,000 Twitter followers and all this like hype in these magazines and social media. And you just wouldn't know about it because nobody talks about how they have five roommates and they eat ramen every night. Everyone's yeah. like brags about their accomplishments. Their, their people tooth talk hurts, about, and they can't go to their, their struggle dentist because
0: they can't fucking go to the dentist because they can't afford it. And they're like, their tooth is like, oh man, my tooth really hurts and it smells bad. I can't, but like, I I also have like eighty thousand Twitter followers. Like, what are you gonna do,
1: dude? I was, bad. I was, I was, I met up with some friends to have some wings and watch some football one night, um, here in Brooklyn and there was a comedian who i had a lot of envy and jealousy of because of their huge online following and i showed up to the the restaurant to just you know have some wings and chill out and they walk up and they're like hey can i uh, get you something and they were our, they were our server and then they recognized me and they were like and i was like oh hey and then they yeah. were like oh well I was like, "How how are you?" I was kind of awkward, you know. I just I didn't expect to see some, you know, you don't you don't expect yeah. to see someone in a situation. It's very awkward. And then they were like, oh, "Well, I guess I didn't make it." And I'm like, "Hey, I have a day job too. Like, it's not it, we're we're doing yeah. we doing what we can, you know, it's not a big deal." But it is, it just reminded me, hey, don't look from afar and assume you know what someone's life is. Yeah. Don't assume that they have all these things because of like all these trappings and hype and whatnot. Just like be happy with what you have and like keep keep trying. I I think this quote is really kind of sums up like where I've come to with comedy at least is like be happy with what you have while striving for more. Hmm. And that's something I was never able to do before.
0: It's hard, though, like, and it's something that's taken me all this time to understand, because I've had those moments where I like I was working in the restaurant, I was working at a sandwich shop, I remember, in my hometown, because I ran out of money, I had like, you know, gone to art school. And left my hometown and was like peace motherfuckers and was just like I'm going off to bigger and better things and I like moved to San Francisco and I had this internship and was like posting on social media that like all this great stuff was happening and then I ran into my friend he just like happened to be in line at this like shitty sandwich shop that I was working at. And he was just like, oh, hey, wh- uh, I thought you were, like, off, you know? And I was like, yeah, it, did- it didn't uh, work. And now I'm back here, um, you know, just trying to make some money. And I wanted to fucking kill myself that night, you know? Like, I was just like, "That, that is it. Like, that is, like, the hallmark of just just humiliating mortifying failure you know it's like it's like something that a script writer would yep. put in as just like this is the character's like really just embarrassing fall from grace moment like now they're working at a fucking crappy sandwich shop you know and like it's humiliating for them and it's like Absolutely. almost like sadistic in a way you know um it's just ugh, it just fucking sucks i don't know i was talking to uh, uh former guest of the show, uh, Casey Salengo. And he was saying that he was, he was talking to some other comedian, uh, and this comedian was encouraging him to quit his day job. Um, he's just like, you got to stop like walking dogs and like doing moving jobs and just like focus on comedy. And like his response to that. And like, you know, my response too, is just like, hey, and then just be constantly stressed out about next month's rent like what the fuck are you talking about like you have to have your bills covered what are you doing you can't just like you can't make that fucking leap anymore like you can't do it
1: you know what it is though there's something like you were saying before it's there's something very romantic it's romanticized about that starving artist thing yeah but that hasn't really been possible for like 20 years like in in, in a major city to live with any kind of decent standard of living you have to have some money coming in. Or frankly, a lot of these people have family money yeah. that they don't like to talk about that is the secret engine that keeps their dreams going. Right, they got rich and, parents or a
0: rich partner.
1: Yeah, you got a partner who's rich or, or parents or family, something like that. Or you're just willing to literally live like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> like you're willing to live with six roommates in a basement that floods and has rats and that's just what you're doing. And yeah. oh man, I, I, I never was at an age where I thought that was cool. There was never a time when I was like, Oh yeah, that's, this is fine. (laughs) I was just like, I can't, I couldn't, maybe that means I'm not going to make it quote unquote, but most people won't anyway. But I'll just be happy to not have done that, to be honest.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I just finally, it finally happened to me. I finally just like hit my breaking point this last month. We, um, our rent was due at the beginning of the month, obviously. And, uh, you know, so my share of the rent is a thousand dollars and uh you know it's me and my girlfriend and so she was just like you know i'll pay it and then you know i'll just venmo you you know and you you can just pay me you know for your your share and i was like that's usually what we do no problem i just real quick was like i'll check my bank account real quick and i had 700 and i was like so that's not gonna work out quite you know there's a little bit of a differential there and was just like I have to turn to her and explain to her that I'm $300 short of rent. And yeah. even if I give her the $700, then I have $0 until my next paycheck comes in. And I don't even know how much that's going to be. Cause I haven't been walking dogs that much lately. Cause pandemic been pretty bad. Not a lot of clients, yeah. you know? And it was just like, I can't fucking, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't do this. Like I have to get a real job. I can't,
1: I, I yeah. can't. You know can't. what? I would say that, you know, it's a very positive thing that you're reaching this realization now, as opposed to five years, six years later, which is what I did. Mm. You know, um, I really would give anything to have a lot of the last, <laughs> a lot of my decisions during the last ten years back, because there there were things that helped me in terms of like being having flexible these kind of like crappy jobs, yeah. but. At the same time i wasn't saving anything for retirement i yeah. wasn't um building any equity with anything i was just kind of like just just barely getting by yeah, just hand them out and off. that's that's nowhere to be that's no way to be in your 30s and 40s so like give yourself some credit for at least at least at this point realizing that and now you have so much time to just make different decisions and you'll mm. be so much happier that you did trust me because Man, yeah, that dog walking life and just like the the kind of starving artist life it is just brutal. I I I, yeah. I really really wish I'd made some different decisions and like I'm happy that I'm making making them now. But yeah, this last like ten years or so, I could have had a much better quality of life and a little, little more money saved. Wait, how old are you? I'm 44. Wow, you look great. Yeah, thank you. I'll be 40. I'll be 40. Yeah, 45 in August. So yeah, man, it's um. It's a long time coming, you know, and I—I I could tell. I can also tell when I speak to my parents how relieved and proud they are. Yeah. Of of the decisions that I've made yeah. within the last couple of years to to turn things around and be more responsible with this stuff financially and yeah. with just living in a, in a way that's more more um, reasonable. Because I can only imagine what the worry must be like for parents who have adult kids who are just kind of floundering and I had you know I had some good stuff going on I had some accomplishments you know I had a good writing job for a year I got the TV credit I got the agent and stuff but that doesn't like take care of me long term so yeah yeah man I uh I think that's definitely like a a good thing that you're you're coming to
0: I mean I love my parents to death and they are so supportive of me but like the there is just this unspoken thing where I feel like I know on some level they have to be just like, what's going on? Why is he still making $30,000 a year? I just didn't, I never had an answer. Like, and they, you know, would tell me, like, just sort of in subtle ways, like, you know, that, like, hey, what's up? You can't, yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know, and 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 my sister is doing pretty well, and you know has, you know, she went to the same art school and 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 is working in her field, you know, basically, and I went for filmmaking, and I don't fucking make films, and you know, it's just like, I don't, uh, yeah, it just was very very difficult for me to not feel like a complete fucking loser all the time, you know even if my parents weren't just like telling me like you have to get a better job or we're disowning you or some shit like that, you know, like, cause they never would. But
1: I mean, this was a big part of, um, some of my depression, you know, and it's it's not a coincidence that, you know, this last couple of years since I've made some of these different decisions, I've been in a better place because even with like dating and stuff, I just never felt worthy yeah. of being with a, a woman who had good things going on. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm kind of like working part-time and theoretically going for this comedy thing, but nothing's really happening the way I want it to. And who knows if it will, because it's so, it's so uncertain. And like, you know, I'm dating women who have like, you know, own their own apartment in Manhattan yeah. and have like a 401k and fuck? like go, go away to the Hamptons on the weekend and go to fancy restaurants without yeah. worrying about paying for it. And that was like a big source of tension and, and stress and, um and anxiety. So, I think that like, as you make these different decisions, um, that definitely you'll see a change in, in yourself too.
0: You mentioned that you, you broke up with that girlfriend because you felt like a loser?
1: The The woman who actually, maybe the second or second best, nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. Uh, this is my, my girlfriend from 2009 before I went to therapy. You know, we were having a nice relationship but then, you know, at the, I, at the time, I never felt like more of a loser. This is before I discovered I liked to, I wanted to do comedy. This is when I was just walking dogs. I got laid off from, by, from, this big, from a pretty steady day job that was, like, not paying great, but was taking care of the bills. And I was just in a bad place. You know, like everyone else in 2008, I lost my job. Yeah. And that just hit me in my self-esteem so hard. You know, I didn't have a passion again, and I didn't have yeah. a job. And I was just struggling. And then she mentioned that she wanted to, bring me home to her parents to meet me. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, oh, that's not gonna happen, obviously not. I'm not gonna meet her dad feeling like a freaking bum. And I broke up with her almost immediately after that, like a week later, and through tears, as I was breaking up with her in person, she goes into her desk and she gets a card, and she's like, well, I told you I would help you find information to go to therapy, and I really want you to go. And here it is. So please take this, go get help. We're not going to speak for a, mo- a period of time. I'll reach out to you when I'm ready to speak yeah. to you again, but I really want you to be okay. All and right. it's still like very much like makes me emotional even thinking about it because it's like the most selfless thing that I've ever seen anyone do. You know, she was like heartbroken, I mean, like sobbing and thought of me in that moment in something that was more important than what we were going through. So it was, it was pretty freaking intense. And like, we're still friends this day. And I think it's, it's, it's largely because of that. Um, but yeah, man, that was a, that was a really heavy moment. And I definitely like recommend anyone who, you know, who's listening, who's going through anything that like, it seems too heavy or even worse has like, you know, thoughts of self-harm or, you know, uh, not feeling worthy, uh, you know, it's, it's it's worth it to talk to somebody because even just like the act of deciding to talk to somebody made me feel so much better immediately mm-hmm. just because I was investing in myself and taking an active role in making myself uh, feel better and, and bettering myself as a person. Uh, it's so important.
0: It's hard. It's hard to even get. To, I mean, because I've been on like, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to sound like I'm some like expert in depression, but I feel like I have been down in the depths of it. And when you are down in the sickest, darkest, blackest depths of it, it's you don't want to do anything for yourself because you don't feel like you deserve it. Like I remember, I remember feeling like I don't want to do any kind of self-care I don't like why do I deserve self-care I remember feeling like I know that these things I'm doing these like self-medication things that I'm doing are bad for me and good I hope they fucking kill me you know because Mm -hmm. like I just couldn't find any worth in myself and that was also during a period when I didn't have any other type of passion. I didn't have any type of other, like I was, I was just doing my day job, you know? And like, I was just walking dogs or I was just, you know, doing like making sandwiches or whatever, you know, like I've, I've hit that point a couple of times. I should, (laughs) I should punctuate that. uh, I've, I've circled back around to the dark side a couple of times, which like also makes it scary because it's just like, Oh, I, I could go back. You know, like, it, it wasn't like I just hit the bottom and bounced back up and I'm fine. I sort of bounced a few times and, like, sort of skidded across the bottom. So, like, you know, it's always there. And so, but anyway, those, those years, I mean, years when you just don't have anything else and you're just working at your fucking meaningless day job and you don't have, like, an actual passion to work towards, like... Good god, like how can anybody live like that?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I you know, I don't know. I'm sure it's a famous quote. I don't know who said it, but like the most people live a life of quiet desperation. Hmm. And um it's unfortunate, but it is true. And I think there are things though we can bring into our lives even if we don't have, you know, that passion um that we're chasing that gives people so much meaning. You know, you can find meaning from volunteering. You can find meaning from just being a good friend to to your to your to your friend group and your family, and being like a good member of your community. And you know, these are things that people do that don't involve like some big, you know, dream. You know, yeah. Um, but I do think that like this may be, this may be off, off, off. I don't know. This may be like incorrect. I don't know. This may not be the right thing. But I definitely, from my experience, have felt that like. And from my friends, and looking at how they how they've lived uh and this is definitely gendered in my opinion, but maybe it's, it's it's different, but I feel like for a man to feel good about himself, he has to be handling his business and feel like he's at least providing for himself yeah. but ne- never mind providing for someone else, but just like providing for himself and taking care of business. And for many, many, many years, I was not taking care of business. And now that I feel like I am, I definitely have noticed I feel different about myself and the way I relate to other people.
0: Wow. What a great note to end on. Uh, we should wrap up. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's let's do plugs. Uh, anything that you want our, uh, our listeners to know about? Um, how to find you? got Show's coming up. Uh, any of that.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I have a wonderful... Stand-up comedy show every second and fourth Saturday at the Bluebird. You came to the last one. Yeah, it was great. Such a, such a good time, uh, such a good vibe. It's called Big Break Stand-up. It's at Big Break Stand-up on Instagram and on Facebook. uh Tickets are cheap; they're ten bucks. We have an fantastic amount of talent on those lineups for that little about little bit of, of money and you know you can walk up and buy tickets but we love it when you buy tickets in advance because it makes us not have a panic attack that no one's going to come right. so go and buy buy tickets, come to the show it's a really good time, it's every 2nd and 4th Saturday in Prospect Lefters Gardens at The Nest it's a great time
0: alright, well thank you so
1: much man thank you
0: thank you once again Khalid Rahman for being on the show what a nice dude he rules uh, so follow him go to his show if you're in the Brooklyn area if you're in the New York area even if you're not go to that show fly in who gives a shit DM me and you can stay at my place and you can go and see his show I'm Bradical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter at self on Instagram Go ahead, send me a message. Be like, hey, I, I, I'm, I live in Kansas City. And, but I want to see Khalid Rockman come do a show. And, and, and you said you would. And I'd be like, I, I did say that. I guess you can, I guess I'll whip out the air mattress. I'll tell you where I live. <laughs> I need to just come over. I don't know, it would be fun. I have no boundaries. I clearly don't have great boundaries. So, you know, do it up. I'm going to remind you once again, rate and review us on iTunes. Give us five stars. Write whatever you want in the review, to be honest. We just need the five stars. That's the only thing the algorithm's based on. So could you do that? If you do that, I'll do something nice for you, and I'll mention you on the show, maybe, if I remember. I love you. Patreon.com slash self-worst. Help us out. Little as a dollar a month. You get bonus content. You get dog photos sometimes. And you get get more of me talking. Which is what we all fucking want, right? Oh my God. Can't get enough of it. Please give me more. I will literally pay money. Well, you can do it. Patreon.com slash self-worst. Thank you. Music is by Shea Bartel. That's all. That's all my housekeeping, right? Like I said, I got fall brain. I'm real, real foggy these days. can barely, uh, my, my executive function is just out the fucking window. You know that feeling like you're forgetting something? Like, and you like pat for your keys and your phone and your wallet. And you're like, oh, what? shit, what am I doing? Then you look down and, you're not, and your dick's hanging out. And you're like, oh, that. That's how I just feel all the time. It's like not really sure what I just said five seconds ago. But we just keep pushing on. Because that's why I'm recording it. So that I can just go back and just be like, did I really say, yeah, I said that. Anyway, that's all. Thank you a third time to Khalid Rahman for being on the show. I know I've said it at least twice, so I think my count is right. And thank you for listening. All of you. I love you. I kiss you on the lips. I die for you. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time. Go out and fail. It's good for you.